As a Michigan fan and student, as a YouTuber, and as a college football analyst and fan in general, yesterday was one of the greatest days of my life. And whether it's Michigan, my team, the team that I am a super fan of, beating Alabama and winning their first college football playoff game ever and achieving the first 14-win season in school history with a chance to win it all, whether it's Washington winning as I predicted them to win due to their massive matchup advantages against Texas, or whether it's the fact that both of these college football playoff semifinals were objectively great games and Alabama or Texas or both could be playing in the national title right now, All of these things just combine to make yesterday, the first day of 2024, New Year's Day, one of the greatest and most entertaining days of my life. And we gained 1,000 subscribers yesterday and had well over 200,000 views on my live streams of both of these games, and we also had over 10,000 watch hours. So I want to dedicate a few seconds of my time to say thank you Whether you're subscribed to the channel right now or not, thank you, the college football fan and the human. And hopefully there are some college football players that somehow know this channel or at least find this video. Thank you for doing what you do. You provide a lot of entertainment and a lot of joy, not just to me, but to the average person. And every player, every player in this this college football playoff. You're a part of a great team, and more likely than not, you are a good or great player. You're certainly a much better player than whatever I could be. So with that out of the way, we're going to react to these games, and I'm going to give my analysis and my thoughts. Before we dive deep, please hit that subscribe button if you haven't already, and click the notification bell so that you can get notified when I release more college football content like this video, comment your reaction and analysis down below to these games. Tell me what you found entertaining, what you found maybe boring, if you will. I know that the third quarter in the Alabama-Michigan game looked a lot like a Nebraska-Iowa matchup, or maybe you found the constant scoring back and forth and a seeming lack of defense in the Sugar Bowl to be pretty boring and mellow. Let me know what you're thinking down in the comments below. And lastly, check out my Patreon page if you want to support the channel and also gain access to bonus content if you are an All-American or Heisman member. I am going to be in Houston, Texas, watching the Michigan-Washington National Championship game in person, and there will be there will be film of my time there, both in-game and what I am doing outside of the game. There will be film on my Patreon there, and there will also be multiple posts where I share my thoughts on this game and also share some of my early ideas and thoughts for content and predictions for the 2024 season, which should release, honestly, right after the national title game. So thank you for listening. Let's dive in, and we are going to talk about what I think was the lesser, shame to say it, but lesser college football playoff semifinal game first. I think the Rose Bowl going into overtime and both teams always being within one possession of each other 
and featuring Alabama and Michigan, bigger brands, bigger fan bases, according to power rankings, the two best teams in the playoff, that made the Rose Bowl better. And we're going to be talking about the losers first in each of these games, which means the first team we're going to talk about here is Texas. Now, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say this, but maybe I am. Steve Sarkeesian, I think, did everything possible to lose. Let's talk about the play calling first. I think it was he, his team had 10 yards to go to get the first down. I think it was it was first and 10. Yes. And Texas does a play action pass to Jatavion Sanders in like set up as a screen pass to Jatavion Sanders and Washington's linebackers immediately swarm him for a two yard loss. What are you doing? Like, why the screen passes? You have Xavier Worthy. Sanders was extremely effective downfield, as we learned later after Texas was trying to pull themselves together from an awful first half. Whittington played well, and Adani Mitchell coming up clutch, if not for number 25 on Washington, whose name I forget, knocking that ball out of his hands, Texas would have taken the lead 38-37 and had one of the greatest all-time comebacks in a college football playoff semifinal. But alas, that wasn't the case. Steve Sarkeesian shot his team in the foot time and time again with play calling. And I think Texas didn't prepare for this game well. You look at the penalties, you look at the fumbles, and you look at Quinn Ewers just looking lethargic in the first half and really in the third quarter. You know how much T.O.P. Washington had in the third quarter alone? They had 13 minutes of T.O.P. in a 15-minute quarter. The third quarter, where they outscored Texas 10-0. I think they recovered two fumbles there. It was—it's insanity when you look at the time of possession, and Washington is 36 minutes and 20 seconds of possession, and Texas has 23 minutes and 40 seconds of possession. Washington is one of the most penalized teams in the country. They finished with five penalties for 39 yards. Texas had 10 penalties for 66 yards. All of these disadvantages, when you have so much of them on top of bad play calling, and Sarkeesian's the primary play caller, that all circles back to the head coach. All of that circles back to the head coach. And this is another game where Washington was yet again doubted by Vegas. And I'm glad that This time, I wasn't the one doubting Washington here like I did against Oregon State, where I was wrong, picked Oregon State to win, and Washington instead survived, and I picked Oregon to win in the rematch, and instead Washington delivered an even better beating and a bigger beating than the one they delivered against Oregon early in the season. Ewers is the worst quarterback in the playoff, and it showed last night. Milrow, I know that statistically Milrow played worse, but Milrow does not have nearly as good of a supporting cast. He just doesn't. His O-line is worse. I would argue Texas's running backs outside of ball security are probably the same or have a higher upside than Alabama's currently. Texas has the better tight ends. They have the better receivers. Heck, they might even have the better play caller, despite the fact that Sarkeesian is doing his best Ryan Day impression and trying to juggle everything. Get a different play caller. I heard a statistic or read a statistic a few weeks ago that said a coach, a head coach who calls the plays on the offensive side of the ball has not won a national title in the college football playoff era. And it makes sense. You have too much to manage. 
get an elite play caller. Maybe, you know what, bring Brennan Marion back and your offense with that O-line, which most of it should return next year, and those amazing running backs who are very young, you will have tremendous success. This team is on the upswing, in my opinion, but that doesn't take away from the fact that whether it's Quinn Ewers going 24 of 43, averaging around five to six yards per pass attempt before the fourth quarter, only having one passing touchdown. It's just very inconsistent play from him. I think McCarthy had a better game, and I think Milrow objectively with the worst supporting cast and the fact that he took hit after hit, still made plays. I think he is also a better quarterback than Ewers at this point. The secondary, don't need to talk about this for more than a few seconds. They matched up poorly with Washington's receivers from the beginning. I mentioned this as a mismatch in my preview and prediction video. It's why I picked Washington to win, despite the fact that I think Texas, since the month of November, which is where you really get to see who a team is, had been playing, on average, a better game. The mismatch from Washington's receivers and tight ends over Texas's coverage was just so much greater than I think Texas's still pretty significant advantage of their passing game over a mediocre secondary that Washington has. And lastly, the defensive line of Texas with Tavondre Sweat and also Byron Murphy, that's their X-factor zone. They were neutered in that second half. Outside runs, design QB runs with Penix, and the D-line could never get pressure. This defense is entirely one-dimensional. They could not get pressure on Penix, and when they did, he did a very good job of maneuvering the pocket and finding his receivers deep. There were times where Texas nearly got a sack, but they were a second too late, and it resulted in a big play. And there were other times where Dylan Johnson or Penix or Washington had a, I think it was a true freshman in Tybo Rogers come in, and he did well. Washington had over 100 rushing yards. They averaged over three yards per carry and had two rushing touchdowns. That's impressive against this Texas D-line. Reasons for growth and encouragement are that Texas will return many stars next year, and this team is physical. I think they proved that in the fact that they outrushed Washington. But physicality, while I think that's the most important aspect of a college football team, if you're a physical team but you're horrific, at perimeter play, and Texas is defensively, then a team like Washington, who is physical but also has elite perimeter play at wide receiver, the best in the country, they're going to score on you. And the concern for this team, I think, is the defensive backs were the most veteran part of the team. They are. That's where they will lose probably most of their production on defense, just by virtue of the fact that they have the most senior starters at defensive back. The DBs stink and yet they're the most veteran part of the team. And they have not been a good unit ever since Sarkeesian has been at Texas, if I stand correct there. So there might be a need for change, but Texas is also recruiting at such a good level. And I thought this season it was still a year, a year too early for them to win the title. Next season, I expect this team to be better. Let's talk about the victor, the Washington Huskies. Kalen DeBoer and his staff coached circles around Texas football for 45 minutes. In the final 15 minutes of the game, the fourth quarter, they were either too aggressive for their own good, or they tried to get cute at times, and it just... The first 45 minutes, and this is something that's consistent with Washington, is they will play three quarters of elite football, but you know you will get one quarter of 
what in the heck are you doing out of them as well. That's something that's consistent with Washington's identity in the same way that it's consistent for Texas and their identity to have awful secondary play. Like, that's not changing. We're 13, now 14 games in. We know who these teams are. And we knew that entering this game that Washington had the better coaching staff than Texas. DeBoer is a proven winner. He has the highest winning percentage of active FBS head coaches right now, if you include all all college football levels, because a lot of his wins came in, I think, Division Three, and he coached also at Fresno State in the group of five. But 11-2 and last season, 14-0 and with a chance to win it all this season at Washington. How can't you say that DeBoer is a top-10 head coach and that he has a top-10 staff? Ryan Grubb and him... They are geniuses, and two geniuses in the same room with players who offensively are legends. That's why I call Roma Dunze the Caesar, because he is Caesar on the field. He commands everything, and he embarrasses like a genius tactician and a great man, which Caesar was. He exposes and kills opponents. He just does. You cannot cover him, and part of that is on him and his talents, and that's why I love him as a player. But also part of that is from DeBoer and Grubb scheming these receivers open. They tore and played with Texas's defense for 45 minutes. And Washington's defense, specifically their defensive line and their linebackers, they were causing havoc on Texas's offensive line and offense. Now, we knew that Texas... Their strength entering this game was running the ball. It hurt them that Jonathan Brooks was not healthy, and their pass protection by the virtue that they gave up more than 20 sacks in a modestly weak defensive conference that was the Big 12, that gave away the fact that they were not elite in pass block, and Ewers has not been elite all season. He's been much better than he was last season, but he's still up and down. I think he's a top 15, top 20 quarterback. I don't think he's top 10 like McCarthy and obviously Penix are, and Milrow fits right in between fringe top 10, like 8th, ninth, 10th best quarterback in the top 15, in my opinion. And by the way, he, but we'll get to this in a few minutes, he will be, I think, awesome next year if given proper development. But Washington's D-line, specifically Braylon Trice, constantly getting in the backfield, forcing Ewers to be uncomfortable, scramble around, make throws off the back of his foot, Ewers is not good at improvising. He isn't. He's not good at making crossbody throws, throws off the back of his foot. He needs to be in a clean puck. He needs everything around him. He needs the system to work properly. But if the only way you can have success is if you have perfect conditions set up for you, then you're not the best of the best. It's just that simple. And Washington was able to disrupt Sarkeesian and Ewers and Texas's offense's game plan. I mean, Kyle Flood's offensive line, he's a good recruiter, a good developer. This offensive line has a lot of experience. And Texas's weakness in this game, in part offensively, was their passing game in part due to their offensive line. They surrendered two sacks, five tackles for loss, and if not for Washington's secondary, which 
I think is one of the weaknesses of this team, there would probably be more sacks, and Washington, I think, would have won by more. But that's playing with hypotheticals. The linebackers made several clutch plays, tackles for loss, open field tackles, recovered fumbles, punching the ball out. It was a great effort on both sides of the ball by Washington. And Adunze, Polk, McMillan, and the tight end Westover, and even Devin Culp, who had a few good plays. He actually had a play where he was wide open and Penix overthrew him, I believe. They had their way against Texas's linebackers and defensive backs, and that was an impressive performance. Penix, by the way, 29 of 38 for 430 yards, two touchdowns. At one point, as I said on my Patreon reaction to this game, where I just wrote a paragraph about it, he was averaging 20 yards per pass attempt for much of this matchup, which is nuts. That is Madden NCAA on, like, All-American and not Heisman mode statistics. That's embarrassing for Texas's secondary. And it's impressive from Washington's standpoint. I mean, Penix had a better game against Texas than he had against most Pac-12 defenses. And I think that goes to show not only how good the Pac-12 was this season, but also what Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb and this staff can do with a whole month to prepare. I mean, Washington is full of tactical players. They're full of tacticians on the roster, on the coaching staff. And I think a reason for growth, which is really a reason for optimism, looking into the future and how the program can grow, is Washington is elite at developing their players and scheming for their players to give them success. And the offensive line, unlike the past two O-lines that won the Joe Moore Award, Michigan's in 21 and 22, the O-line actually lived up to their award. They opened up holes for Dylan Johnson, who it sucks that he's injured. Hopefully he's healthy and can play against Michigan. He had 21 carries for 49 yards, two touchdowns. He did have some clutch plays, including a fourth down conversion and a cool touchdown where he was lined up at the fullback position. And I think they had McMillan or Bernard or one of the receivers lined up as a running back. That was a very unique, sweet play. Again, Washington is schemers, and that is really what gives them a chance against a Michigan team that, from a recruiting basis, is much more talented than they are. Washington has been beating teams all season long that are much more talented than them, whether it's the blue chip ratio or even in terms of experience or just raw statistics. The reason for concern is the Huskies have not played elite in all four quarters this season. It is a part of their identity to where they play either a half or a quarter of mediocre football. You saw that in the fourth quarter. That's why Texas nearly came back and won, despite having only 50 seconds to do so, combining with the kick-catch interference, which was a 15-yard penalty, and Ewers slinging it deep to Jordan Whittington for, I think it was a 41-yard pass. Washington, they haven't played a full game where they're up to their ceiling constantly. And they're going to be facing a Michigan team who is a top-two team. It's going to be between Washington and Michigan for who the best team is in the country. And Michigan's ranked first in ESPN's FPI. So can the Huskies win it all, or can they be a consistent playoff and national title contender if... They don't improve that aspect of their game. Well, I don't know, but 
They certainly have a chance against Michigan. I'm saying that as a Michigan fan, and I said entering the college football playoff before these games were even played that I think Washington is the highest ceiling in the country and that they would give Michigan the most fits just from a roster standpoint. But Alabama, from a coaching standpoint, I think was going to be the team that gave Michigan the most fits because giving Nick Saban with a month to prepare is terrifying. And some people have said that Alabama's team looked unprepared in this game or they looked sloppy, but what they don't understand about saying that is, yes, you're correct, but this is what this Alabama team is. They are sloppy. Their pass protection is bad. That is their identity. That's not a fluke of this Alabama team. That is the 2023 Alabama Crimson Tide. So Nick Saban had to work around that. In Nick Saban's mind, game planning for this game, and Nick Saban is more of a genius and more intelligent than I will ever be, but I'm just trying to put myself in his shoes. I can only imagine him thinking, okay, I need to come up with a game plan to where we can win the Rose Bowl and also win the national title playing either Washington or Texas and go 14-1 and while having an offensive line that can't pass block, a team that is not disciplined in terms of penalties and a unit that out like with Jalen Milrow turn over the football can't pass in the short or intermediate areas and on defense it's not like a 2012 or 2011 or 2013 Alabama defense it's better in the fundamentals, I think, than any Pete Golding defense, but you don't have the ceiling of the 2021 or even 2022 defense where you had Dallas Turner alongside of Will Anderson. You don't have that. And there were other players, and I'm blanking on these names partially because I'm not an Alabama fan, but you know what I'm talking about. Alabama would have first-rounders everywhere, like D-line, linebacker, and secondary. They have first-rounders at linebacker and secondary this year. They're missing them on the defensive line. And they're still a good D-line, but it was evident in this game as Michigan's offensive line looked more like their 21 and 22 offensive lines compared to a, a unit this season for the Wolverines that has struggled, especially in October and November, in pass protection. And Dallas Turner couldn't get a single sack. Same with Chris Braswell. But Nick Saban, I think, had a good game plan. And I think Alabama played close to their ceiling. But it wasn't enough, because this team does not have the highest ceiling in the country. In fact, not even close. I think that Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Washington, Oregon, five teams. There may even be another team, or another few teams that I could name, that if they played to their ceiling as a team, coaching staff and roster, they would be better than Alabama at their ceiling. And that's because this team is young, very young. You're starting Caden Proctor on the offensive line, true freshman. You're starting Caleb Downs defensively in the secondary, true freshman. Now, Downs is incredible. Caden Proctor has a lot of work to do. But starting two true freshmen at a program like Alabama and several of your other players who contribute or are starters are sophomores, juniors, they're not seniors. This is one of the youngest Alabama teams under Nick Saban. 
And there was a reason why this team was never ranked number one throughout the season, because they were so inconsistent that even the AP and coaches poll voters couldn't vote them number one. You never could. After the Texas loss and USF game, there were a lot of questions. And even after their wins over, you know, LSU and Georgia, for example, and Ole Miss, very impressive wins, you still came away with some questions. Against Georgia, for example, Alabama surrendered four sacks against a Georgia defense that cannot pressure anyone for the life of them all season. Georgia, I think, finished the regular season with well under 30 sacks, potentially close to 20 or closer to 20 sacks instead of 30. In this game, against a D-line that looks more like a traditional defensive line or a traditional Georgia defensive line in Michigan, I think Michigan is the best defensive line this season, Alabama surrendered six sacks, 10 tackles for loss, several additional pressures, but Jalen Milrow with his insane ability and I think pocket awareness, to be frank, was able to maneuver himself out of the pocket and create some plays or at least try and throw the ball at times. Most of those sacks and TFLs were allowed in the first half. There were still some plays in the second half and in overtime where Michigan was able to stymie and dominate Alabama at the point of attack. And Seth McLaughlin, low snap, low snap, low snap, dot, 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 low snap, times 10. Those snaps, that doesn't just affect Milrow in the sense that he has to collect the ball and that takes a second away from him. So he has to make quicker decisions. That affects his perception of the field, period. Because he can't, he has to look down. He can't, you know, collect the ball while observing the defense and then make a decision. It doesn't just shorten the time that he has to make a play. It affects his processing, that messes up the entire offense and puts Alabama behind schedule. Alabama will benefit a lot next season from having a new center. That's the reason why Milrow had to throw the game-winning fourth down 30-yard pass, because zip, ball goes right under him. And that happened two times in a row, I do believe. And then on that fourth and goal, it happened again in overtime where McLaughlin just had a low snap that went right in between Jalen Milrow's legs. It's just, it's not good. The O-line, in my opinion, cost Alabama the game. The problem is Alabama's offensive line has been problematic all season long. So if you were to play this game again, Michigan would dominate in pass protection. And they might do a better job in defending the run and running the ball themselves in the trenches against Alabama because that's been a consistent concern, particularly on the offensive side of the trenches for the Crimson Tide this season. And without good protection and separation at wide receiver, which tells me that Michigan might have the best secondary, potentially an even better secondary than Georgia that Alabama has faced, Milrow couldn't be an efficient passer because... It is either running backs out of the backfield or deep shots. He couldn't hit any deep shots in the end zone. He tried twice in one drive. Nope. Rod Moore, Will Johnson, perfect defense. And there was another time where Alabama started at their own 15. This was on the same drive. Alabama took like three deep shots in the same drive. And he got it to Isaiah Bond, but it had to be perfectly thrown. 
if it was just a one second early or late throw, that would have been picked off by Michigan's DBs. He couldn't be an efficient passer when he had no protection, little time to throw, and when he's facing a secondary that was locked down all game. Burton and Bond are good. They're not Marvin Harrison Jr. They're not Emeka Igbuka. They're not Washington's receivers. They're just not. And you don't have a third option to really make Michigan uncomfortable. They can they can risk putting their worst corner or worst DB, whoever that is, on Alabama's third or fourth wide receiver. And he will be locked down on him. And the Tide made the same painful mistakes they've made all season long. But the optimistic point here is they nearly won. And Saban going 12-2, and winning the SEC, going undefeated in SEC play, and only losing to two college football playoff teams is impressive. Because Jalen Milrow is, as of this season, the worst Alabama quarterback in quite some time under Nick Saban. Maybe you have to go all the way back to John Parker Wilson. And this offensive line is Nick Saban's worst offensive line probably since the first year he was at Alabama, too. So Nick Saban's dealing with a lot of adversity. Milrow is. The offensive line is. The defense is. The good news is this team is young. They're going to come back for 2024. And as of right now, based off of returning experience, the fact that I really like Milrow, even with his struggles, I think he has a great attitude. He's progressed insanely and improved this season his offensive line almost all of them outside of Latham are coming back much of the defense should come back this would be one of my favorites to win it all next season a reason for concern however the O-line is busted even for their youth even factoring in their inexperience but also factoring in their talent they're bad and Milrow can be boxed in if he does not improve and isn't developed to become a better short and intermediate thrower, defenses will learn from the Rose Bowl, and they will limit him. They will. For Michigan, the winner of the Rose Bowl, despite several special teams errors and three and outs, Jim Harbaugh won a college football playoff game. And Michigan's offensive line did not surrender a single sack, and the Wolverines averaged 4.1 yards per carry. And Corum had a rushing touchdown. He's a touchdown merchant. Why did I say Merton? Anyway, I'm tired. Michigan had not won a bowl game, a postseason game of any kind under Jim Harbaugh since 2015. It was a big reason why a lot of people, the majority of the public and analysts, picked Alabama to win, alongside of the fact that Alabama looked more improved and was improving in November in the SEC title game, and Michigan looked like they were struggling a little bit, plateauing or even regressing. But Michigan was dealing with some injuries to McCarthy and the offensive line. They clearly were healthier in the Rose Bowl. And they looked more like the team that I saw in September and October and more like the good aspects of the 2022 and 2021 team than I had seen in much of November, like against Maryland or Iowa in December or Penn State and Ohio State at times. Michigan beat a legitimate, I think, top five team in Alabama. And Jim Harbaugh's now one and one against Nick Saban. Even though I think that Saban outcoached Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh's assistants 
outcoached Alabama's assistants, and Michigan's players this season are better than Alabama's players. I'll give you a key example. Alabama has NFL bodies at defensive back. We're not going to dispute this. And yet Tyler Morris outran their secondary players, tiptoeing down the sidelines for a touchdown. That would not have happened last year against Alabama or the year prior against Alabama. Michigan's athleticism, their physicality, their toughness, everything about this team has improved year by year by year. And now Michigan has a team that you line them up even against last year's Georgia, it's Michigan's game to win. It also would be Georgia's game to win, but that would be a game where it's like, uh, I, I don't know. Anyone can win. You line them up against 2021 Georgia or 2021 Alabama, an SEC national title team. Michigan could beat them. Michigan could control that game. They didn't control this game in the Rose Bowl, but they played one of their worst games of the season. Yet again, this is the third year in a row where Michigan has laid eggs in the playoff. The difference is they overcame shooting themselves in the foot and they won. And that's the mark of a team that has incredible toughness and has an incredibly high ceiling. To play against an elite head coach, a near-elite team, to shoot yourselves in the foot with multiple fumbles, almost throwing an interception on the first play of the game, wide receivers falling down, or McCarthy just being a little off on his throws, but that's characteristic of McCarthy. Um, Great quarterback, but not a top two quarterback, not a generational quarterback, but really great MVP for a reason for Michigan's offense. He made the necessary throws, made a lot of great throws as well. But getting back to my point, Michigan did not play to their ceiling yesterday. The muffed punts have been a problem this season. Having two of them in a big-time game where you have a month to prepare, that is a little excessive for what would be typical. It is. And Michigan is a very disciplined team, but that Max Bredesen personal foul, that's uncharacteristic. Michigan's, I think, their defense, their defensive line, letting Alabama's offensive line run on them the way they did, little uncharacteristic, but Alabama had Jalen Milrow, and that definitely affected the run game because Michigan struggles against mobile quarterbacks. So that opens up lanes for Alabama to read Michigan's defense and get in some big-time runs, which they did. I mean, McClellan had a good game. Jam Miller had a good had a good game. Uh, Justice Haynes for Alabama, true freshman, had a good game. McCarthy and Sharon Moore executed, just going back to McCarthy, an effective and deadly passing attack. J.J. McCarthy was 17 of 27 for 221 yards, three touchdowns. He had a 91.9 quarterback efficiency rating. He had three passing touchdowns. He also had 25 rushing yards and three carries, averaging 8.3 yards per carry. And he didn't fumble. And outside of that one near interception, he played a pretty perfect game, if I'm being honest. And for Michigan, I predicted them to run for over 200 yards if if their ground game functioned in the second half like it did in the first half. I think that they would have, but that's giving credit to Alabama's better second-half adjustments. They made better second-half adjustments than Michigan, which I think is a little inconsistent with how great Michigan's staff is, but it is what it is. 
Michigan, the point stands, they didn't play a perfect game, but they have such an elite staff and an elite roster that they didn't have to play to their ceiling to win. And imagine what they could do in the national title if they play to their ceiling. I mean, credit, same with Washington, with how insane those receivers are, and the fact that they have talent on the D-line and they have the best O-line in the country. But think about Michigan with all that experience, all that talent, and the the athleticism that this team has that really separates them from the 2022 and 2021 team. Think about what they could do to any team in the country if they played at their ceiling. And I've said before the college football playoff that I think Washington to the highest ceiling in the country. I may not agree with that. I may not agree with that, thinking more about how Michigan played against Alabama and just the fact that they won in spite of making far more mistakes than I thought that they were going to make. But we'll see. I really think the national title game will determine not only who the better team is between Washington and Michigan in terms of you know, deserving in power rankings. Michigan will probably be better even if they lose to Washington. But I think more importantly, that'll determine who has the higher ceiling is who wins the national title game. The defense was well coached, and Jesse Minner, Forced Jalen Milrow to work hard, read defenses, and willingly take hits. And this Michigan team, their only concern in the future is everyone's leaving after this season. If McCarthy wins the national title and has another game like he did against Alabama, where he had above a 90 QBR, three touchdown passes, no picks, he'd probably be projected a second or first round pick. At that point, why not leave? But maybe he comes back anyway. Edwards is likely coming back, but the entire O-line is going to run out of eligibility. Most of Michigan's starting receivers are gone, but luckily Samaj Morgan and Tyler Morris have looked good this season. And Chris Jenkins and Braden McGregor, they're gone. Junior Colson and Michael Barrett are gone. Rod Moore will likely enter the draft, hoping to be a first or second round pick. There are so many players leaving after 2023, after this season, and the 2024 college football season will be a big test for Michigan. And the defensive line struggled against the run at times. But a big reason for optimism and a reason for growth is the Wolverines are the country's best developmental program right now. They're outside of the top 10 in terms of roster talent by high school recruiting rankings, and yet I think it is clear by power rankings by what they did against Alabama, by how they beat Ohio State and Penn State without their head coach. I think it's clear. This team is the best developmental program right now. Best overall program? No. I still think Georgia and Alabama are better than Michigan, even if they win it all in terms of program. But Michigan is an elite program, and they're the best developmentally. Thank you all so much for watching this video. It was a little longer than I originally expected, but I wanted to talk about these teams, and I think it was appropriate to spend this much time talking about them. Remember to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. And thank you to my Patreon supporters for sponsoring this video. Thanks to Crash2488 for being a Heisman patron. Thanks to Spencer Bringhurst for being an All-American patron. Thanks to Will Loftus, Gabriel Callender, Roaming Gnome, Matthew Sale, Chris Lane, Austin Christmas, and Zubin Zah for being all conference patrons. This end screen, because we had some new patrons join, will be updated in the following days. So if you joined my Patreon, don't worry, you're going to be recognized. Have a phenomenal day. I'm so happy and excited to be in Houston and to watch the national title game play out. Have a great day, guys, and there will be more content tomorrow. Bye-bye.